Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. Hey, TDR fam. With Jesus on the road again, we invited digital media pioneer and industry thought leader, Stephen Chuck, to co-host this week. Stephen and Charlie offer their take on the Will Smith and Chris Rock slapgate controversy, award shows in general, and the strange performative layer which seems to dominate our culture far beyond Hollywood. And then in our courage or cringe, the guys weigh in on Donald Trump suing Hillary Clinton, Nestle's move to stop selling products in Russia, and finally President Biden asking Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz to resign from a presidential council or be fired. So, grab the headphones and settle in. It's equal parts funny and thoughtful this week with insights all over the place. Please enjoy this episode of TDR. Stephen Chuck, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Charlie. It's great to have you here, co-hosting Jesus on the road again, second week in a row. He may make he may make it permanent. I don't know. We'll see. He sent me a picture last night. I tried to. I it was guess who I'm with. I'm not going to use names, but it was. Oh, in New York. I hope I got it right. If, okay. <laughs> if it's who I think it is, I'll be very happy that I got it right. Was it a really hazy picture or something? It wasn't a hazy picture. It's just a. Um, Different. Let's put it this way: it's either someone I totally didn't recognize, or it was a very different haircut than I was. Oh, interesting! I would can't wait to see. So, I did want to issue just a quick, um, a quick correction on last week's show that I caught when I was listening to it again. I had Wally Altawashi on the show, as, as folks will know, who happens to be, even though he's of G- Egyptian descent, is Canadian. And for some reason, we got talking about music, and I remembered a song from Yes, the progressive rock bo- rock rock band Yes. You remember Yes, right? Roundabout and all that stuff, owner of a lonely heart. And for some reason, I said, the great Canadian band. And it was one of those like spoonerism moments, because I'm in front of a Canadian, and I'm thinking, yeah, Yes is Canadian. I know they're not Canadian. Like, And so anyway, I was roundly excoriated by by uh, listeners and friends and family about that uh, that faux pas. So, of course, I know that Yes is an English band. There are two great rock and roll bands from Canada, namely Rush and and uh, Triumph, But and I'm sure many more, but those are the ones that I grew up with. <laughs> those are the only ones that matter. But no, I know that Yes is not a Canadian progressive rock band. So there's my correction, Stephen, for the, uh, for the I, week. I, not to um, say anything that would... Put that really close to your mouth, though. 
Not to say anything that would. Uh, there you go. Upset or Canadians. That's that's a good segment, right? Canadian or not? Yeah, that's a good uh, little piece of fluff. There you go, fluff content. That a little you could format roll out every now and again. So you started to tell me what did I miss with the academy last night? I, I, I've already heard people have texted me already, but I don't know what like the the main issue is. So I didn't see it live. Um, I was at a soccer game with my youngest. Did anybody watch it live? I mean, my these shows oh, my, have not done well. So my wife is still like that old fan. Mm. Um, that that fan from from the era that uh, I'm not sure how old the producers were. I read a really funny um, tweet my daughter shared with me that said uh, um, Sean White and Tony Hawk and Kelly Slater uh, giving an, a, a James Bond tribute is exactly what an 80 year old white producer would think really appeals to a 60 year old white viewer. <laughs> well, they nailed it then in that case, I guess. Yeah, it's they're not wrong. Um, what was the controversy? Just the, the, the categories they didn't talk about? And all well, that no, stuff? no. I mean, so uh, I, I'll say what happened, and then I guess we can get into the mm-hmm. implications. But Chris Rock came on and started his Chris Rock thing. He made a joke um, about Jada Pinkett Smith. Mm. Um, Will Smith, nominated for King Richard, um, about a... Fiercely dedicated and protective father, I guess we would say. Yeah, Serena and Venus Williams' dad, yeah. Was in a very... It's got almost a cocktail set up now, where it's like cocked, like dining tables. Uh-huh. Um, kind of like the... the yeah, other supper, yeah, supper clubs from the 60s or something, yeah. yeah. Walked straight up on stage, walked up to him, smacked him in the face. What? Uh, and then returned to his seat... And Chris Rock was clearly stunned. Everyone was stunned. Couldn't tell if it was a gag What did or he not. say, though? What, what did Chris Rock say? So, um, well, then, let me finish really. Mm. The rest of it is, um, I, don't, I don't know, I won't use the language, but he, he shouted loudly multiple times, keep my wife's name out your mouth. Wow. So, pretty amazing moment. And Chris Rock just got smacked and, and took it? <laughs> One of the aspects to discuss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the, the broad picture. Now, if we start to break it down, Chris Rock's joke about Jada mm. was, uh, can't wait for G.I. Jane 2 to come out, which is reference to the Demi Moore head shaving scene, Demi, sorry, head shaving scene in G.I. Jane 1 and to Jada Pinkett Smith's alopecia. Oh, right? got it. Okay, so she's, no. she's rocking her, her look, her natural look now. And I think she looks fantastic. But it's still, it was a joke about somebody's medical condition. Got it. Which I guess if we're... Bridge too far for Will Smith then. Well, yes. Mm. But, <laughs> um, so that, I mean, there's no question that's not cool. Um, but, but then the sort of cascade of events, really, I think you have to start to ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. um, to walk up to scream at him. Keep my you know, don't talk, don't talk about my wife. That's that's fine. Was it deliberate? Did it happen right away? Like he just got up, like the moment it came out of his mouth, and he got up and he, when you see it, like he made the joke. I don't know exactly how edited it was. My 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 daughter knew something had happened, but then they found it, like posted on Twitter immediately, like from other countries where the feed was a yeah. little bit more direct. Um, you so can, he, he makes the joke and he's starting to go on and he's like, oh, and you see Chris Rock look and because the, the camera's on him, he's like, uh-oh, and you can tell he sees something. He's like, here comes Will. And Will, Will Smith walks up and literally like, you know, buttons his jacket and then just hauls off and smacks Open him. hand smack. Open hand, I believe. Yeah. 
Imagine being the like the the stage director on that one. It's like, what is Will Smith doing walking up here? I'm surprised. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm not surprised because um, well, I don't know enough about these characters personally to know whether or not like Chris Rock should have thrown down after that. Should he have? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I have no idea what the reputation is of these different players. So, someone, quote unquote, defending their wife, right? Yeah, like, I get that. I think there's a lot of ways that we do that. So he walks up and says, keep my wife's name out your mouth and we're going to talk about this backstage. Exactly. He throws down with him backstage. Okay. Still, still not, you know, still not living an ethos where we're sort of like, I think, trying to teach kids that violence never works. Mm. Right? Like, you're not definitely not living that. Yeah. Um, but in that case, it'd be more about defending the honor, the, you know, dignity. If you just walked up and said, hey, you know what? That's wrong. We're going to let's go outside. You know, you're still going to have a violent, uh, you know, altercation, but it's not. There, see, the, the, the thing of doing it in front of the camera is there's a, there's a whole performative layer to it. Ding, 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 ding. I didn't even see it, but I can already tell you that. That's, that's the word. And then, and then. I would say this a couple things. The people that I – it's a terrible joke at at a woman's expense. So I don't know anything about it. I mean, why does she have alopecia? That, I have no idea. I'm clueless on this stuff. It's just a condition, right? So it's, so it's not like she's got a, an illness. It's just she's losing well, her hair. Yeah. Women sometimes do at, yes. at older ages. Happens. Yeah. Happens. Uh-huh. Uh, and she'd been dealing with it, struggling with it for a little while supposedly and kind of came out about it and, you know, more power to her. It's, mm-hmm. it's strong. So the the people that I actually there's a weird triangulation beyond that that I we could talk about, but I I definitely feel really bad for for Venus and Serena because he invoked their father, the character he played, and that he said he was a fierce defender or protector of his children and his family, and so. It was like getting a real easy out, mm-hmm. you know, or excuse for the move. Um, oh, so so you you think he was kind of like in character in a way? Like, I don't get that reference. You think he was being I, I bad? Think, I think that he either borrowed that immediately after, yeah, figured it out, or or thought that that's the moment he was in when he was there. Um, but I just don't feel it did. Um, it doesn't do any justice to Richard Williams. It doesn't do any justice to Serena or Venus, right? And I, I think if we double-click there, it did nothing but um, – support might not be the right word. It did nothing but make the worst of the of the sentiments and the racism that has been directed at them their entire career. It kind of – like it brought it out. I yeah. Mean, it, brought, it, it brings this to the surface. And because your, your point is because the context of him being mentioned or Chris Rock doing his, his shtick was the, the King Richard film. No, like, I mean, well, I mean the, the context of I'm allowed to go up and physically assault you. Got it. Because I'm a protective dad. I see what you're saying. Right. And in this case, a protective husband. And, 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 and in that sense, you could say someone who's not in control of their emotions. You could say, so you could say, you could make all these statements that would feed back in directly to the worst things that people have ever said about them, mm. uh, and the and some of the stuff that they've dealt with in the tennis world, right? And, I, and so that from that standpoint, it's it totally did them a disservice. Um, I also feel really bad for the two young actresses in the movie who the parts that I've seen, I haven't seen the whole thing through, but I've seen parts of it. They're fantastic, and they're 
connected with that now forever. Yeah. So, you know, had he gone up and sworn at him, had he gone up and said, we're going to, we're going to finish this later. Yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah. I think his stock would have gone up. I haven't seen it. I'm sure I will many times. It'll be memefied. It already probably is. Um, yeah, interesting to think about what may happen next. I mean, you can definitely file charges. I mean, that is assault. Uh, apparently, they're not going to. And that was yeah, the other course. triangulation for me that I sort of like, again, this is why well, I do thinking out loud. But, you know, I was sort of like, so if that happens like six blocks west and a little bit south of there, <laughs> you're now in L.A. County Sheriff's jurisdiction. And this happened maybe 40 minutes to an hour before he won Best Actor, to be clear. And did he address it when he when he yeah, walked? Yeah, that's that's when he invoked Richard. Um, Richard Williams was a very protective, fiercely protective, dedicated father. Oh, see now like, I get the connection. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the dynamic. So this this happens an hour before that, and he stays in his seat. Yeah, and the show goes on. Oh, so I'm like, if that happens where L.A. sheriffs have jurisdiction, yeah, <laughs> does he get to stay cuffed and stuffed? I was like, under what circumstance is he escorted out? Right, if he if he slaps Morgan Freeman, if yeah, he slaps, well, I mean that, if he slaps a white guy, there's so many dynamics here. I mean, that goes to this kind of protected class of sort of celebrity royalty, which of course he, he resides in. I mean, he's not just some other actor. This guy's like, you know, uh, how, how long has he been in show business? I mean, 30 oh, he's years. a billion dollar guy, billion dollar guy. Yeah. No question. Yeah. So he's, nobody's going to kick him out, which I think is part of that. Um, part of the dynamic here is that there's some kind of protected class status. You know, the other thing I was thinking about, and this is, vaguely conspiratorial so you'll enjoy it but um you know these shows have not gotten good ratings dude i mean they've just been they've been you know it's been a burning platform for years and years and years and this one's gonna get a lot of play i mean it already has like i said people were texting me this morning about the academy awards and i was like what what happened i have no idea because i didn't watch them and then when you mentioned it just now i was like okay let's talk about it live on the show but so you think you think there's any of that spicing things up a bit here's what i'm gonna say to that it was underproduced. Okay. If if it was that, they would have had him not not slap the comedy world's skinniest <laughs> guy. Right. Right. That's what right. I was like. Would he do that to Chappelle? <laughs> like, no. Like you know, I was trying to think about it. Like, how would he do? Well, it see, to- I think Chappelle would have thrown down with him. Well, th- so the other person that I'm thinking about there is Chris, and and a lot of people are like uh, Chris Rock. I should say. I don't know. Um, you know, good for him. He didn't do anything good. And I'm like, he's going to regret. If, if this is not fake, and I don't think it was, uh, and if it happened exactly how it seemed to happen, he's still going to he's gonna regret not throwing hands forever. Was there anybody that tried to, like, Nothing. intercept Will on the way up? Did everybody just – was there was it visible, like, audible, stunned? Like, what? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. think – I mean, I think people didn't know whether or not it was staged for a while. For a while. Yeah. But kind of thing when they're coming back from commercial, because I caught, I, we all we walked in right after, and then my daughter shared it with me on, on, the, on some other feed. And then you could tell when they come back from commercial, like the amount of buzz in the arena, the amount of people talking yeah. was way higher than usual. was way mm. higher than usual. So anyway, uh, crazy across the board, um, unfortunate across the board. Um, but I thought it was, it was kind of a, yeah, when I Clearly think about when moment. I think about Will Smith, I don't think about somebody who's who's. I mean, you kind of strikes him more as sort of a jovial, kind of gregarious guy. More Without question, go, you know, not the not like a sort of hard ass. But then these guys get into these character type of roles. I mean, there's famous stories like what uh, Jim Carrey did with that. Um, 
with the story, the Andy, what Andy was Kaufman. Andy Kaufman uh, biopic. I mean, he went bananas basically during that. De Niro famously would put on weight and change his personality and people wouldn't recognize him and like all this stuff. Now, that was usually during the filming. In the case of um, of the Andy Kaufman, I think it went beyond the filming. But so like you do hear about this stuff. Sure. And look, after a while... Your job is to convincingly play other people, particularly characters who may or may not be flawed. And I'm not suggesting that uh, that Richard Williams is flawed, but I'm just saying, you know, there's some kind of psychological dynamic that you know does that they do operate within. Which it's very easy. You got a stage in front of you. You got cameras on. You've been emotionally triggered, and to then tap into some of those resources that you've developed over a craft in decades. And like act on it, like you, you see what I'm saying. There yeah, is- no, I, I, I would. So, I would, I'd be inclined to disagree with you, mm. except for the fact that he, he was nominated for that that last night. He was nominated for that role last night. Beyond that, he's been out of that character for I don't know when. They could have shot that like before COVID and then didn't get released. So mm. he's been away from that character and that that modality for a while. Maybe he's working on a hyper you know action movie right now. So he's He's a little jacked up overall, and maybe he reconnected with the character because he was nominated at the Oscars for yeah. it. Um, so anyway, but it, 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 it's kind of stunning to see, and it's it's it was a I, again I I felt really bad for Venus and yeah I can understand it now in that context yeah. of like yeah you know this is sort of like an inspiration for why I did this in a way that's that's weird yeah yeah. That's weird put, on, put the, something on, them, on the actresses and the actual real people. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm sure not the last we will hear about it, Stephen. So, no. um, well, it's great to have you on the show. Took some doing, but we finally <laughs> uh, wrenched your arm uh, far enough back to, to get you to participate here. But is this your first podcast? Oh, As yeah. a guest? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. Well, that's great. Well, you're doing great. You got a great voice for it. Thank you. Hopefully it comes out that way. So you and I have known each other for 24 years? 99, 23 years? 23. Yeah, 23 years. It's quite a long time. Long it's almost time, a quarter man. century. I know. I know. You were my, the very first sales call I ever went out in California was with uh, with Stephen Chuck. Steve, I remember that. It was an auto dealer. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. I do. And you actually closed on the spot, put your contract out and everything. <laughs> that was uh, it was my, my my most Charlie moment, but the first time. That ah, well, maybe it, was, maybe it became a Charlie moment because you taught it to me. But anyway, um, it's great to have you on. We're going to play Courage or Cringe. Got some interesting topics here, and it's going to be uh, very interesting to get your perspective on them. And of course... Even though you are a co-host, um, you're going to go first, like is our guest rule. Right? Okay. So you're going to answer these first, and then I'll chime in. Um, are you ready to play? Yeah, I didn't look at these topics over the weekend. Even better. Okay. Even better. Clean read. All right, so let's play Courage or Cringe. All right, Stephen. Item number one. This is an interesting one. All these happened either uh, late last week or over the weekend. Um, here's the first one. Donald Trump sues Hillary Clinton over Russia collusion claims in 2016 presidential presidential uh, battle. So Trump's attorneys filed a lawsuit in the Southern District of Florida, because that's his residence now, claiming that Clinton and other members of the DNC, quote, orchestrated an unthinkable plot 
one that shocks the conscience and is an affront to this nation's democracy. The alleged plot in question involved falsifying records and manipulating data in an attempt to, quote, cripple Trump's bid for the presidency during the 16 election, which, of course, he won. That's what the lawsuit contends. And the lawsuit, in the lawsuit, the president is seeking to recoup about $24 million in legal fees and lost business earnings. And according to the suit, these losses, quote, continue to accrue, as well as the loss of existing and future business opportunities. So the take on this article is that even though the $24 million is sort of like the stipulated amount for the lawsuit, that I guess, I don't know how these things work, but by the time you get to the other side, it'll be like $250 million, given everything that's gone on. So ultimately, lots to unpack here. But courage or cringe on Donald Trump suing Hillary Clinton over Russia collusion in 2016 election. Stephen, so do I have to begin with the definitive That's what answer? I do. That's what I do just to give the audience a sense of where you're headed. But you can do whatever way you want, co-host. It's up to you. Well, so, I mean, for me, it would be cringe across the board. Okay. But, but I do want to say something maybe that's going to sound positive about Donald Trump. You don't, you don't have to qualify it. Just, I, say well, it. just say it. So, you know, one of the things when a businessman runs for office mm-hmm. that they talk about is bringing a businessman's ethos and a businessman's sense of, of doing things and getting shit done yep. and things like that. Yep. And I want to say that I do think he delivered on that campaign promise, but it's not in the great uh, uh, neoclassical economic uh, market based um American narrative of the guy who makes things happen and does great things and empowers great teams. And it's not that at all. It was bringing the worst of that, uh, that, I mean, what's the right word here? Almost the worst of like the underbelly of the The business, underbelly of business. And you and I have both been in boardrooms. Yes. Right. Yes. Number of times. And we'd love to be great to tell everybody that everybody in there is wicked smart and everybody in there is focused on the common good and everybody in there is focused on the company first and uh, clients first and employees first. And that's just not true. They're focused on themselves frequently. They're focused on their bonus. They're focused on the narrative that moves them ahead, irrespective of who it harms and who it hurts. And oftentimes there's even like a, a kind of a 3D chess thing going on where there's a strategic thing even behind their own personal opinion. So I think about our time at Univision and I would sit in those board meetings and the board members were actually members of PE companies, of private equity companies. So their point of view was immediately tracked to the firm's perspective and what they wanted to strategically achieve. So you walked into, I remember those are like, there are like battle zones. Like you, you were taking, it was like, it was almost like geopolitical warfare. It wasn't even individuals, whether or not they had a good personality, bad personality, whatever. That was secondary to the issue of what it was that they were trying to advance in the context of this broader representation of another entity that they were behind. Right. And the long term is depending on who they were at that moment or, or what they were actually for. Like, my bonus for the year, exactly. my bonus for the quarter, or in the PE case, you know, they would say, who could we sell out here in the next six months <laughs> in order to get the exit that we're seeking, right? Because they're dying to dump it the entire time. And so from that standpoint, he did bring a lot of that, you know, uh, a business sense to the office, but really the worst sides of it, mm. you know, only the worst sides of it. So... And and the other funny thing too is I I, I wanted to believe maybe maybe I, this was naive that you couldn't write a brief 
uh, or a, or a, or a, um, a complaint with such flowery, no, <laughs> colorful language, but true. that seems to yeah. have, that's, if that's a new thing or a newish yeah. thing, like, so this is a guy who's, who's claiming standing for lost wages. Do you think he's going to be able to establish via all his earnings, how many wages he lost? And I, this is the part where I'm like, again, is it, is it so performative? You know, is it, is it just like, do they not think about that going in? Like, well, if we sue mm-hmm. her for lost damages, we might be asked to disclose where those damages come from and establish, of course, establish that we that. have standing. Yeah. So if they think about it, then I'm just filing it to file it over an election that I won. I mean, God. So you're cringe. I oh, think that was a very thoughtful, clear, elegant description of why it is. So, um, and I agree with you. I think it's cringe as well. Let me kind of break it down for you from my standpoint. So I'm not a huge fan of lawsuits, period. I think that lawsuits in a way, um, to use another, uh, you know, sort of thing that impacts the executive branch are oftentimes kind of an extension or in the same food group or family as um, executive orders, right? There are this idea of there's a mechanism to get something done the right way. I can't get it done that way. Ergo, I will sue, right? Or ergo, I will write an executive order. I'm not a big fan of that because it just seems sort of heavy-handed. And the interesting thing you just brought up about some of this flowery language is the bombastic nature of lawsuits because they're written to terrify. They're written to get people going like, oh, my God, this is going to crush me, kill me, destroy me. I know this on personal authority. I haven't talked about it on on this show yet, but I've been the recipient of a similar letter in the not-too-distant past related to some of the activities that we do on the nonprofit side. And I can't get into the specifics, but nevertheless, when I read this lawsuit, essentially, or like a scary, scary lawyer letter, basically, is what it was. I mean, and I've been around the block, but nevertheless, I was, I was scared. I read this and I was like, oh my, this is a legit law firm, and the everything in it, literally to a word, was false. Sure. Like everything sure. in it. Dates, intentions, orientation. I mean, everything. And it was basically casting, in, in this case, me as this sort of, uh, you know, evil interloper, you know. Bad, act, uh, bad actor. Bad actor who wants nothing but the deprivation of resources for XYZ kind of constituency. Right. I mean, it could not be farther from the truth, right? If I was going to write like a horror novel, I would have started it in the way that this letter did. So all of those things, you know, in, in kind of the background, I'm not a fan of them to begin with. I also think, though, and this kind of goes to, I think, some of the points you were making. For Trump, so Trump has been involved, I looked this up, in 4,000 <laughs> lawsuits in his career, okay? From my standpoint, there it's almost like, I don't know what the Zen version of lawsuits is, but he operates at the Zen level of lawsuits, okay? Of litigiousness. He's reached master status. He's transcendent in the litigious side, meaning that it's not about the lawsuit. It really isn't. It's a chess move. It's like a big board. And I think he knows I'm going to move my chip here, my chess piece here. These 12 things might happen, but I'm okay with that because the downside is X where I want Y or whatever it is. I don't think it's about the merits of these cases. And in most cases that I looked up, at least the big ones, there's been a settlement of of some kind. So... I think it's a great point and it makes total sense, but I will say this, you know, the scary letter lawyer stuff, I could see why it's done and it's done performatively, but it's done with people who don't have 
an endless amount of resources. So it makes sense to send one for if someone's going to sue me, send one to me, send one to you. You know, I've seen them. I know what you, I know exactly what you mean. And you're right. They can be a little intimidating. In what world was Hillary going to get that letter, the Clintons? Right. <laughs> and say, oh my gosh, we're sorry, Donald, where do we send the check? Right. right. Or even get the letter at all. I'm and, sure. I can't imagine them with a letter opener, like opening this and going, oh, like, yeah, you know, this was yeah. delivered to them probably by their weekly attorney's meetings or whatever. So so in that sense, the performative part is just for the release of the letter well, and about, the announcement of the lawsuit, fine. right? Yeah. And secondly- That's another you, part of the calculus. If you really feel strongly about it, why not just, why not debate her? Why not go on a series of debates? Why not- tour college campuses and talk about it and bring your, bring your, your, your claims and your, your griefs uh, out that way and have a discussion about it. Do you think it. she would do it? Of course. Do you think so? Oh my goodness. She, she would, probably she would. would love nothing more. Yeah. I, I, I could be wrong here, but let me say this. Two people longing for the spotlight. Two people longing for the spotlight. Yeah. But he's not going to do it that way because- because he knows he looked the fool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like the last thing the guy wants to do is get on stage with somebody well, he, who can actually Well, he wouldn't have the benefit of the bully pulpit of the presidency, for sure. Yeah. So so from that standpoint, going back to your like how egregious and superfluous a lot of these lawsuits can be, the fact that they all have the money to pay for it, it's like, hey, you want to waste your money, fine. But it's it is taking up court time. It is taking time away from other things. It is taking legal resources away from from a, from a myriad of places, and so from that standpoint, it's it's you know, and it's been and it's being excoriated by you know all the professional lawyers out there, people like Lawrence Tribe, et cetera. But then you know, look, we have to also acknowledge the amount of times that those same people have gotten a bunch of things wrong about what's going to happen with Trump. Right? He is part of his. Um, because I agree with you. I do think that he delivered on that promise of trying to get things done and moving very fast and having that, I sleep three hours and I eat, breathe and die this stuff. And if I'm not in a meeting or making a deal, I'm not existing. It's kind of like a shark, you know, dies if it stops swimming. He did bring that. There's no question about it. I mean, Joe Biden, by comparison, literally looks like he's sleeping, literally. And he maybe he is. But the, some of the things that, that he brought that litigiousness, that kind of sharp elbowed nature, that sort of like just, you know, I'm going to bowl you over and run you over. Those are the elements of the business world that are not the ones that we want to raise like our kids understanding as an example. Well, and I think to that point, you could ask the question and I, I want to be cautious. You phrased it correctly. I'm not saying he I'm not trying to uh, imply there was any of the positive aspects of that nature that he brought to it, right? At the end of the day, there was there was giving jobs to people that you can control, right? Not that are capable, and not even about trust, but that you can control. There was there's a million things, but but also firing a bunch of people which he didn't like. You know what I mean? I mean, and he was there was a lot of fluidity, let's say, in that in that uh, cabinet in that uh, White House team. Well, yeah. In which a lot of people complain, oh, you got a crony and they're going to be there and they're, they're, they're like a waste of time. I mean, he would have – he may be over-indexed on firing people who didn't think he was getting the job done that he wanted. Well, he's over-indexed on firing people that he couldn't control or firing people who told him the truth, right? Fine. The other aspect yeah. of that business world that we're familiar with is like, I don't want to hear what's going on. <laughs> 
I want to hear the thing that makes me feel good about myself. Right. 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 I don't want to don't bring numbers in that are accurate. Well, but he's more of the kind from what I've read uh, about reports of people who work directly for him. He's more of the kind, which, by the way, I also don't think is a good thing of pitting two people like having it's like the 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 what are the like those dog fights where you pick the like the two meanest dogs and you have them just rip each other up and you enjoy watching it. That was more his style. Sure. It wasn't somebody who disagreed with him. He'd have just two people fight it out in front of him right. and just like tear each other up. And I guess the winner is the one who's still standing at the end, and that's the one I go with. Right. And you can play that out on a spectrum. Like the pit bull dog murder is, is one spectrum of it. Right. And the other spectrum of it, you have Lincoln's team of rivals, right, where you're not supposed to get along. Sure. And you are supposed to debate. Sure. But you do it as statesmen. You do it as gentlemen. And I think it, and without playing into the Sleepy Joe trope, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Trump tried to do it like someone who doesn't have to follow any rules or any decorum, and ba- Biden's acted much more like a statesman, mm-hmm. right? And you know, however you want to spin that between between a more conservative view or a more liberal view or, or progressive view is 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 fine. I, I think at the end of the day, um, look, we can look back now, and as much as 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 um, Bush the second and his presidency was problematic for a lot of people in the country. Uh, you know, he looks like Thomas Jefferson compared to <laughs> compared to what Trump has has been. Yeah, won't uh, won't disagree with you. But uh, like our first Academy Award piece, I'm sure that there'll be more noise coming out of this thing. It'll be at least fun to watch in the way that things that we're not supposed to be watching, I guess, are fun. Um, but uh, not looking forward to what comes out of this one, although there will be more. All right, Stephen, we're getting off to a good start. Uh, Courage or cringe item number two. Nestle pulls. Uh, I guess specifically Kit Kat and Nesquik out of Russia, but what they call their non-essential brands. They're pulling them out of the Russian market. And this actually follows – the company has been really gradually reducing its activity in Russia since the start of the war, but has been under pressure of late to pull out altogether. So it's scrapped advertising. Capital investments, it stopped shipments of what they call non-essential products or like Nespresso, K-Cups, Pellegrino water, things like that. But it continued to sell many of its brands, saying that they had a responsibility toward its employees in Russia, not the Russian people necessarily, but its employees in Russia, most of whom were locals. And so this is part of that move. There was a boycott that was started, apparently. There were people, you know, very senior people who actually had... I guess meetings with the CEO of Nestle, uh, and ultimately they made this. They stand. Uh, I think this happened on Friday, where they made a move to remove all non-essential products, which they define as pretty much anything except diapers and milk. Mm-hmm. Remove all of those products from the Russian market and stop selling them. They also went further to say that they're. Um, I guess they're not taking the proceeds or the 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 profit from the items that they did sell since the beginning of uh, the invasion of Ukraine. So courage or cringe on Nestle pulling their non-essential products from the Russian market, Stephen. So I, I get the first and the second? <laughs> of course. Um, You're the guest host. Wow. You're still the guest. If so, you wanna, so, I can go first if no, you want. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. So this is a little harder because um, – not a little harder – one of these things where, and again, I, I'm there should be a, a place in the moment of time for us to be able to talk about performative with a capital P, right? Like, I, one is sort of like, so is the only way to send messages or impact Putin to hurt Russian people? Like, is that our 
Is that where we're at? Right. I, I have a feeling that there could be some asset seizures and some asset freezes that would be very clinical, very drone-like that could be done in a heartbeat. Nobody, nobody doesn't know where it all is. Do you, do you think that's what's happening right now with like the oligarchs and all that stuff? I mean, some of that's happening. Yeah. There's no question, but I don't know that it's happening to Putin himself. Gotcha. Right. Okay. It's happening to the guys that, you know, have sort of been cronies, not sort of have been cronies, but I just, I'm sort of in a place where like, so we, if we, if we really do have to, you know, when, when, when those, when those types of things starts to happen, right. It's, it's it's people that feel it, right? It's those blockades and those things like they're felt at a very human level all the way down the chain. It doesn't ha- start at the top. It starts that's at the kind bottom. Of like, it's, it's kind of a weird thing, though, because showing any kind of sympathy, empathy, compassion, understanding for the people of Russia is something that is... I mean, if not fully verboten, certainly frowned upon right now popularly. I mean, I would consider that among the dangerous thoughts that one could have. Well, you could argue... <laughs> I know why you're saying that, I and I, I hear you. I think you're right on some level, but I said that very deliberately. Right? It starts with the people at the bottom. So I could have walked in here and smacked you for not knowing about what happened at the Oscars last night. But you didn't know. That's not your fault. I like, kind of wear it as a badge of pride, to be honest. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah true. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's my wife's fault. Mm. Um, but but they, you know, they don't know. We, I mean, we, we, you can't talk about the fact that the guy has a state-controlled media – apparatus and organization that dominates their lives and then hold them accountable. It's true. Right? Like kind of a logical inconsistency. Do you beat your five year old because I can't do that calculus problem? Like I mean like like that's you know, how how do you how do you get angry at people that that really don't know? And I yeah, there's a lot of flag waivers probably within their communities and you know maybe some people really do understand it. But but at the end of the day that it doesn't change the fact that to that point, there's a reason that Nestle's saying, hey, it's not essential stuff. And to that point, I mean, there's there's thousands. I think the last stat that I saw was 5,000 protesters that have been, you know, basically just cuffed and stuffed and because they had a sign in their hand saying that they didn't agree with the war. Yeah, I mean, if you believe any of the pictures, there's been protests across the country where that tens of thousands of people that kind of realize, wow, this is something happening we don't believe in. Well, those are people who are no longer eating Kit Kats and drinking Nesquik. I mean, again, I, I don't want to give a corporation props for being performative, um, for deciding that they have to take a stand. I guess I'd have to throw it in the courage category, but all right, but very begrudgingly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't it know. Just barely made the cut. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the other side of this one. I'm definitely cringe on it. Um, by the way, funny, but if you actually wanted to hurt the Russians, you would you would stop selling the essentials and keep selling Kit Kat and Nesquik because right. that ain't helping anybody. You can have Kit Kat, but not water. But not water, <laughs> exactly. Eat as much Kit Kat as you can. That's not helping anybody's health. But I, I actually don't see it as a principled move, and that's my issue with it. This came after um, lots of uh, pressure, social media pressure, boycotts, people calling into the CEO, pushing him. And so... The performative layer rises to a degree that I no longer see what exactly they're trying to do, number one. Number two, and that's why I kind of teed you up with the, with the question about the Russian people, I 100% believe that we should not be purposely targeting and trying to hurt the people in Russia 
many of whom, again, to your point, if the pictures are to be believed and the stories are to be believed, don't agree with this war, don't want to be doing this, and maybe just can't express themselves the way that we take for granted every day, that we could just go anywhere and go, hey, here's how I feel, without the fear of some like windowless van pulling up in front of your house and saying, hey, it's time to go, which happens all the time you know, right. in these countries. Happens in China too. My my one of my cousins lives in in a in a I think it's Jiangsu or one of the provinces out there. He's there as an expat working for an international company, and he told me he went to go pick his parents up from the airport because they came to visit him in China. Like went to the airport, picked them up, got home. Hour they're having like their coffee and catching up. Knock on the door, and it was like the official saying, uh, "We noticed that you picked up some people at the airport. Can you tell us who they are and papers, please?" And I'm going like, "Are you serious?" That's He's terrifying. like, "Oh, absolutely, absolutely." He's like, "That happens every time." Yeah. So in a world where that's the case, um, I find it hard. I'm happy that they're keeping the essential items, and I get that. But like, you're kind of making money, you're profiting, you're doing all this stuff one way or another, and I just think that it, it doesn't. It's not a integrated kind of move in terms of philosophy i think it's kind of like it's it's the, the performative layer is too big for me for me to give it a yeah. courage no and i i that's fair and if you were to say um well let's let's lay out everywhere nestle sells and everything that they do sell and then let's let's look at all of the regions where state-sponsored bad shit is going down and see what sales are there yeah then then you could certainly say if you're not integrated and you're not um congruent as there you go. Congruent from our, yeah. from our General mm-hmm. Electric HR training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're not being congruent, uh, then you could give it a cringe for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's where that's where I net out. The other thing that I thought about is this is a Swiss company, so shouldn't they be Swiss about it? And it's like, <laughs> hey, look, we're gonna we're either gonna sell to everybody or sell to nobody. You know what I mean? But it's like, do you want to talk about congruence? Let's be congruent. Right. That's that's where I net out. Very right. good. All right. So, Stephen, number three, this one's a really interesting one. This happened, I think, on Thursday of last week. But according to the headline, President Biden asks Herschel Walker and Dr. Mehmet Oz, famously of the Dr. Oz show, to step down from the President's Council on Fitness and Nutrition. By the way, if you know anything about Herschel Walker, have you ever watched this story on like... I'm a fan going back in the day, probably somewhere in my parents' house is the Sports Illustrated article that sort of, um, I, I mean, he was already a name, but it was still from his time at, I think, UGA, um, that just talked about that workout. The and, work ethic. And, yeah. I mean, since he was a kid, yeah. something like, you know, 500 pull-ups every day, 5,000 push-ups, like literally a way of life for yeah. this guy. So apparently, according to uh, Herschel Walker, and he's spoken about this since, um, he was delivered a letter at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. on I think it was Thursday, maybe Wednesday of of last week, asking him to resign before 6 p.m. that same day. So they didn't give him a ton of time for deliberation or discernment or be fired from the President's Council of Fitness and Nutrition. Now, why would you ask Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz? Well, according to the White House, um, it's because both of which both of them are running for elected office, right? So specifically Herschel Walker, who's the one who's spoken about it. I don't know if Dr. Oz has. Uh, Herschel Walker is running for the Georgia Senate seat that is currently occupied by Raphael Warnock, who not too long ago actually just gained that seat himself. He's actually leading him in the polls by a fairly decent amount right now. And the rationale that the White House gave was the Hatch Act, which we've heard about many times, that really prevents um, you know, people who are in elected office to speak on behalf of 
you know, other things, right? So that's the reason why, you know, if, if ever uh, Jen Psaki, the spokesperson for the White House, gets asked about a Senate race or something, she's like, look, I may want, you can assume who I want to win, but I can't talk about that because right. I can't put my finger, put my thumb on the scales of that. So that's what they claim. They blame it on the Hatch Act. Um, Herschel Walker's been out talking about it. Again, not sure if Dr. Oz has, but the Courage or Cringe is on President Biden, Biden essentially asking Walker and Oz to resign or risk being fired. Both of them have said, fire me. And apparently that hasn't yet happened, that they've been officially fired. But nevertheless, they've both passed on the voluntary resignation. What do you say? So I, I will borrow a little bit about what we both know about um, scaled organizations to say that um, President Biden has no idea who's on that task force. What it does. I thought you were going to say he has no idea what a letter is. No, no. Go has ahead. no <laughs> Didn't send Not a, there a, yet. Tele, a telegram? Maybe um, in the second term. No, no, no. But but uh, just has, I mean, like, this is one of those things that went to somebody uh, 17 layers down, and they um, forgot, right? They, they I, we've had something come through related to my daughter's school recently. Like, hey, I'm catching up. You're in arrears on something that they need to that we need to provide for her, and we haven't mentioned it for three years because of COVID. And I'm like, wow, this is a crappy thing to be facing at this moment in time. But I was also like, okay, I kind of get it. And so the the without an aspect of the cringe piece here for me would be, did you have to do it that way? Like you couldn't start with the phone call. You start, hey. You know, you're both running for office. The Hatch Act prevents it. Uh, how do you want to handle it? Right? Like, why you'd give them something that they could be performative with. And they sure are. Is just, it's just stunningly bad management. It's stunningly poor planning. Mm. It's stunning it, across the board, right? Again, back to the things, one of the things in business I always talk to people about if you're too busy to do your day job, you got some prioritization issues, right? You've got, you need, you either need to pay for more help or you need to say no to more things and, and manage your, manage your life. So, you know, if, if, if everything that we're hearing in this is accurate, um, it would be cringe to send a letter that says you have 24 hours to resign or you will be fired. Like that's, there's no reason to put people in that spot. Um, if they had learned that they had done something that that uh, that breached the Hatch Act in some way, then it might be different. But I still think there's a different way to go about it. I think like, it also begs the question, because I haven't mentioned this, but hopefully it's obvious by the fact that the characters, both Oz and Walker, are running as Republicans in in their Senate thing. But I, I, did, I forgot to mention that. But it begs the question you asked earlier, which is about the Nestle story. Can we go back to every presidential council in the last 40 years and find someone of an opposing party who was asked to resign or be fired that was running, yada, yada? And my guess, I don't know because I didn't do that research, but my guess is probably hasn't been super consistent across the board in that regard as well. That'd be my guess. Well, shouldn't a presidential council – I mean, so I get the running part. It's really the running part. Shouldn't a presidential council – always have people from both parties you would think shouldn't it always be as, as sort of broad and bring in as, well, as these much perspective people, as you can they're 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 elected by or whatever assigned by the previous administration and both was the case here as well they were not put on that council by biden they're put on that council by trump right right which goes back to the point right if somebody if you have a an aggressive um very liberal democrat operative 
in the role of managing this thing and they feel good about sending a letter to people that Trump appointed, like you don't need to get your jollies that way. Yeah. You don't need to, you know, yeah. These guys, these guys are asked, called to serve by their president at the time. They said, yes, if now it's time for them to move on for, for whatever reason, then so be it. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that kind of procedural piece. I think you're right. Look, I definitely agree with it from a principle standpoint that if you have a challenge with somebody, you address it with them first Yeah. before you issue something that everybody can look at. And that's the first way they find out about it. I refuse to believe, and this is not a Biden doesn't know what's going on point. I refuse to believe. Yeah. It's too far down the track. Yeah. It's way down the prioritization list. And I'm sure it's something that some, you know, buddy in their office did and, it's just kind of a thing. Now, the thing that – so I'm a cringe as well. It's not, you're a cringe, right? Yes. Okay, so I'm a cringe as well. Um, I, I guess I would add to the process piece that you mentioned, which I hadn't thought about before, but I would add to that um, the notion that the Hatch Act, at least as it's written, is for people who are in office, not who are running, okay? So you could have also procedurally said, look, you're welcome to run. That's your right as a citizen. Should you win – you know that you have to stop being on this council. I think that that's a kind of eyes wide open thing that most people would say, yeah, that's reasonable. And frankly, when you run for office and win, there's a lot of stuff you have to stop doing. <laughs> even even to start running, you have to stop doing a bunch of stuff. You have to divulge all your financial records. And not, there's things not, you, not according to the last president. Right, exactly. <laughs> we can play both of those things because I got kids, baby. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's, there's a real legal question uh, here in, in, from my standpoint that at least as I read – the Hatch Act, it applies to people who are in office, not people who are running for office. And so it has at least the patina of looking like a defensive or a partisan, preemptive partisan kind of move. And it, to your very top point, it gives you a lot of ammo, right? Because these guys are running. It's great. It's great to run on this. It's like, look at me. I'm being exiled. Persecuted by the White being House. Being persecuted by the White House. This is more the reason that you should get out, out to the polls and vote for me. I think Oz is running in New Jersey maybe or New York or something. Somewhere. It may be Florida, but, you know, all the East Coast is one state and right again, now for me. We can see, uh-huh. if we choose, the conflict of interest issues, right? For sure. Like, I'm on this council. Maybe I have a voice in what kind of laws get pushed out. And if Nestle wants to sponsor my campaign <clears throat> in furtherance of some law that's coming up that will make it the, the labeling laws less severe for sugary drinks – Right there's the, there's this place where you you might win you might run or you're running you might win we're gonna nudge you forward while you're on the council and have a voice to affect potential legislation I doubt this council really can do that but I like you get it you're not supposed to be in those types of positions this you know at some point next week or soon hopefully you guys are gonna talk about Clarence Thomas and his lovely wife and you know Ginny. everything going on there mm-hmm. with the um, texts yeah yeah like again I'm you know there there's a reason that you don't uh you don't ask the wolf to guard the hen house yeah but the, but the, but let's play that out though and i'm curious about your thoughts now the kind of apocalyptic version of that vision is every four years or every new administration you basically spend all of it undoing everything from the previous one so you get into this kind of you know seesaw or yo-yo kind of administration where okay you issued 50 executive actions executive orders my first week i'll undo every one of your executive orders you assign these 50 people to these 50 councils my first week i'm going to undo every one of those 
is can we really operate in that kind of world where we don't have, you know, maybe a variety of different people, even if they are from a previous administration, you know, taking part in some of these things? So <clears throat> I think that's a that's a step away from where we were. I think it's a great point, but I do want to say um, having people address conflict of interest issues is is a different point than what you just made. So uh, I want to separate those two things. You ask a great question. Um, and I think within that, my point would be, or my thinking would be, we've heard a lot about how Washington sucks. We've heard a lot about how our process sucks. We've heard a lot about how stuff never gets done. We've seen it. Um, so you get to this place where we're just going to act in a very Trumpian fashion. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to worry about process. We're not going to worry about the way it's always been done. We're not going to, you know, we're, we're going to be disruptive. And I think we've both seen it in business where sometimes that can be a positive thing, right? Uh, but it's also has a downside when you act in that fashion. Um, so, you know, you can't, you really can't do both things without ending up in the place that you are. You can't claim you're going to do it your way and do everything that your platform said and do everything your party wants. And you're going to do it immediately. We do it all right now. I'm not going to do it over the process of time. I'm not going to use the existing methods or manners to get stuff done. Uh, I'm just going to go in and get it done. And you end up with that sort of thing where, okay, I'm going to write all these orders. I'm going to, I'm going to vacate all these old ones. And now we're starting fresh and you get, you start that cycle by doing it because there is no respect for process. There is no respect for the reasons and the and the way things got to be the way that they are. And I, you know, there's a challenge there. Like you end up completely buried in in history and legacy and 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 what was. Um, how do you break out? How do you shake it out? Yeah, I, that's I think what there's I'm, a lot there. That's what I'm worried about is just this kind of back and forth of. I think it drives cynicism in the process. I mean, it has for me personally. Even when I hear people, you know, running for office, whether it's a two-year term, four-year term, whatever it may be, and the positioning is we're going to get it right this time. That sounds great. But if the person who comes after you is going to end up undoing everything, even if you did get it right, who cares, right? It kind of drives this sort of cynicism. Now, unless... And this is, you know, again, back to 3D chess, but unless if at the meta level, the meta level, that is what we're supposed to have, meaning the entire thing is this back and forth. And that's a good thing. You can make that argument like that's the meta, you know, argument that like administration A goes in, they do 10 things, administration B undoes the 10 things. And if we don't keep doing that, doing and undoing will calcify and it'll become this really terrible place. I guess you could sort of make that argument. I think the issue the issue gets to be one of the tool they were talking about. And then my, my point wasn't as clear as it probably could have been. The truth of it is the executive order, to my understanding, can can using the word Trump, can can overstep some of the legislative of uh, aspects that are in there. Yeah. So if we're saying that the legislate from a legislative standpoint, we voted one way, we got a set of laws and then we voted another way and developed a new set of laws and they were ratified by that process. There's a, there's a slower back and forth that happens, but I could, I could live with that, right? It's, it's, the problem gets to be is when we have a process for establishing law, someone can come in and write executive orders that, that go over them or, or supersede them or render them ineffective. And then you're in this place where now it's double layered, mm. right? I've sort of clipped Congress. <clears throat> I've clipped the House. 
I've clipped the Senate, their ability to reflect the, the sentiment of the, of the, of the broader public. Cause I can come in and write my own Magna Carta with every presidency. I think that's a real problem. Yeah. And I think going back and examining what the executive orders really mean and when they ought to be and ought not to be applicable war powers versus not war, war no more time and things like that. That's probably a place that needs a, a deep double click and you're, but you're never going to find anybody in any party. That well, it leads to you it. to another bigger problem, which is if that was to change, that would be a legislative action. Right. And we can't get 60 people to agree on much of anything. So how is that ever going to change? If it's like, you can't even have a vote on, on any of these issues to modify whatever the rule may happen to be. I mean, I look at really simple things. The XL pipeline is an example, right? Trump in, in, <clears throat> made it a big part of his administration. We're going to start this pipeline from Canada to the U.S. and become more energy self-sufficient. Day one in office, Biden undoes that. If a Republican wins the next one, day one in office, they'll put that XL pipeline back. And if they only last four years before that thing gets built or whatever, the next Democrat administration presumably would stop the XL pipeline. And it's this kind of back and forth with something very practical. Everybody can see it. It's a pipeline. I agree with it or I don't. But it's the seesaw back and forth that I think just drives cynicism because that's what, yeah. you know, you can just really clearly say, I get that, you know, this is going to be a win, but it's a short term one. Yeah. And, you know, again, on the genesis side, like I'm not, I know I'm not that familiar with it, but I don't know what a president has to do with a pipeline. Right. Right. Like right. The, the company decides they're going to put one in and they do an environmental impact study and they cross that bridge or they don't. Yeah. And if they do, then they pay to upkeep it. What I can tell you is if you've got a piece of hardware like that and you keep turning it on, and turn it off, you know what business is going to do. They're going to ignore it. And eventually you're going to turn it back on and miss the 17 holes that are in it. And so it's to your point, not the way to operate in any, in any fashion, but like, yeah, you'll get it to work and that'll be the irony. It'll have a bunch of holes that the oil will go everywhere. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. yeah Cause but, it won't work. But people weighing in with their opinion or their, or their executive order on things that belong to the legislative and, or they belong to the private market. Right. It's not, it's not yours to talk about. And the less they do of that, the less they'll be to undo yeah. of the last guy's uh, order. Uh, order ledger, I guess you'd call it. Very good. Steven, great show, brother. Great to have you on. See, it wasn't painful. <laughs> Somewhat painful. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. S- we'll see when you hear this back. Yeah. Uh, any last words of wisdom? Anything you want to nope. share with Thank the crew? thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. I love what you guys are doing. Awesome. Well, great to have you on. Um, yeah, we got some fun shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. Jesus will be back in studio next week, so we'll uh, welcome him back. Uh, But if you're listening to our voices, you know that it is time to subscribe. We say this every week, but it really is important so that we can continue to make the show grow. Share this episode with a friend, with somebody that you want to get a different perspective on the things that we've discussed or just in general. And we'll see you again next time on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.